This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reflection and self-awareness is so important. And I think everybody, it's worth people taking a look at. If you're not fulfilled or if you're not feeling happy, it's worth doing the work to try to figure out whatever might change that in you. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Self-Care is Self-Love with True Beauty Brooklyn's Alex and Elizabeth. Millennial estheticians and entrepreneurs, Elizabeth Taylor and Alex Shapiro are the owners of True Beauty Brooklyn. They are passionate about helping you achieve your beauty goals so you can walk through the world feeling beautiful every day. On their podcast, True Beauty Brooklyn, they have weekly conversations that bring the vibe of their Brooklyn beauty studio to life as they're joined by experts, friends, and community members to answer listener questions about beauty and skincare and share stories about living in a multicultural world. Alex and Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. So good to talk to you guys again. (laughs) It just seems yeah, like so not that long ago that we were doing this the other way around, and it was an awesome conversation. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Great. It's it's funny. I was just saying to Alex that um, <laughs> your um, PR person, Laura, when she emailed us for us to come onto your show, she was like, "Yeah, can you please in advance let us know any questions that you might have for Dr. Dan?" So sorry for dropping one on. Oh wait, I thought you guys were going to give them to me right now. Like, what are we going to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> so no. sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, no, you. we are we are totally good. We're good. Um, so let's start with, um, in no particular order, I want we want to know a little bit about you guys in terms of where you like. Who you are, where you come from, like who your people are, what 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 has what has um, mm. what has contributed to you and influenced who you are today. And I and so I, I, I got that. Eliz, I yeah. got I, Alex on the left and Elizabeth on the right. So who's going first? I can go first. You go first. Um, where do I come from? Who are my people? Everyone who oh don't who don't know these voices. That's Alex. <clears throat> okay, go ahead. Oh yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah, that's, that's me. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'll give like a little bit about about my background. Um, I was born in the late 80s in New York City. And um, my parents divorced when I was very young. I was like two. Um, their plan was to have just one kid, me, and to raise me in the city. Probably best that that didn't happen. I think I'd be really fucking weird. An only child and raised in New York City hmm. in the 90s. We know a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. They're interesting. They're yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, we then moved to, uh, we, were, we lived in Queens and then I moved to Long Island and I went kind of shuffled back and forth between each parent. Um, I spent like, I guess my truly formative years on Long Island because we moved there when I was 10-ish. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, I couldn't wait to get back to the city, but I really found my people living on Long Island. And 
I'm 33 and I'm still best friends with my best friend from like middle school Nice. because she is truly my person, you know, like mm-hmm. one of my people, not because oh, we just kept in touch. It's like, no, we've always lived really close to each other. Even though we're both married, we live within 15 minutes walking distance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think back then was when I found, you know, my mom had a lot of mental health problems, substance abuse problems, and I got really into music, into the punk scene uh, that existed on Long Island some fucking way uh, <laughs> in the early 2000s. And um, I really feel like that shaped me in so many ways politically and just the way that I view the world mm. and the way that I view other people. And so that's kind of like a little bit of my foundation. How would you, how would you describe, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I would say like, how did, how did, how would you describe the difference of like that Long Island influence versus the New York City vibe? Like what is, how is it different? So gosh, Long Island is kind of a weird place. And I think that I always felt different and I always felt like, you know, I remember at a very young age being like, why do people hate gay people? Like, mm-hmm. why do people hate black people? Like, I remember feeling very much so just so overly empathetic mm-hmm. towards people who like didn't belong. And so I think that's also part of why I, I started hanging out with people who were kind of like the other. And mm-hmm. um, the punk scene of Long Island versus New York City was definitely not as gritty because like... <laughs> remember one kid who I'd hang out with and he was such a badass. His mom picked him up one day in her Mercedes and I was like, Oh, like, oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of like, um, diet punk. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. We would go hang out in the city with people, but they were like, Whoa, they were like real. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, but it truly was like such an interesting time in my life because, the friendships I had, I feel like they were so, so tight and so, so strong. And again, not just my best friend. I have a couple other friends who I'm still really close with from that time. And also so important because it led me to not give a fuck mm. about what people thought of me as far as like what I wore, what I looked like. Um, not that I didn't care about how what I wore or what I looked like, but I truly didn't care about like the cool kids in school or the popular kids. And I think I feel, I feel really fortunate that that wasn't something I cared about because again, as an adult, I think it's really shaped me to just like do what I want to do. Yeah. Um, like, and I, like a I've said this before. Yeah. And I said this before in our podcast, maybe, I don't know, probably said it today, but my stepmom always, <laughs> my stepmom will describe my husband and I as like, Oh, they live an alternative lifestyle. And <laughs> Uh, because we like, you know, still rent an apartment. We don't own a house. We don't have kids. Um, we don't do like the traditional things, at least on Long Island, that people in their 30s would do. And huh. um, That's so interesting. I think like, yeah. yeah. And I think like, oh, I've never, I've always been alternative, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I was always kind of like the weird one in my family. And, um, and I kind of like that about me. I I just learned so much about you. Yeah. Well, you know why I mentioned like being a part of the punk scene, that kind of stuff, because my high school boyfriend, who's a total shithead, but (laughs) it's fine because he really he kind of got me into that and also helped shape a lot of my political perspectives on like just politically, but also on the world. Mm -hmm. And I I ran in, I was at a bar recently with a friend of mine and we started talking to this dude and it turns out we knew a lot of the same people. And he knew my ex. And so I just kind of like took a little trip down memory lane. And he was like, oh, do you still like talk to him? And I'm like, not at all. And he's like, what about like, you know, mutual friends? I'm like, nope, I really like cut all ties with him. But one thing I took was, um, you know, the way that I feel about our society and about how capitalism can destroy so many things about the world if you let it. And he really helped me to kind of see outside of just like the norm of how you're supposed to live. Hmm. And I was like, oh, he gave me that even if yeah. he was a shit. shit yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that shaped me a lot to like who I am now. Mm-hmm. So that's like a little glimpse into. <laughs> I love Thank that. you. <laughs> like my we, people and we now, who I am and where yeah. I came from. Alternative Alex. That was, 
<laughs> she lives an alternative lifestyle. Yeah, it's alternative. So that, yeah. yeah, I really yeah. went deep. You're but... very vulnerable. I feel like now I need to be very vulnerable. Oh, you don't have to be. No, I can't. I got to now. You got this. <laughs> you got this, Elizabeth. <laughs> Tell us. Tell us. So uh, this is Elizabeth, and I'm. Um, and well, my parents are from the Bronx, and I say that because we. I grew up in the Catskill Mountains in upstate New York. <clears throat> And it's important to say that because I grew up in a very, very small town in a town of 600 people. And we were the only family of color. We were the only black family. I think there was later, you know, one other black family that moved there. But my knowing that my family was from New York City and my family's from New York City, maybe three generations back. I'm a fourth generation New Yorker. I just always knew that like what was presented to me wasn't the only part, like the only reality Mm-hmm. Especially because, you know, um, the reason that we moved upstate, I guess I should say that, is because my brother, who is uh, neurodiverse, he has um, uh, dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And so we lived in Yonkers um, when I was a baby baby. Well, when I was younger, younger. And he got to fourth grade and they found out that he still hadn't learned to read. And education is very important to my family. And so basically my parents went in for a parent's student conference and or excuse me, a parent teacher conference and they said, Your son doesn't know how to read. He's never gonna learn how to read. He's just gonna be flipping burgers for the rest of his life. So you may as well take him out of school now. And my parents understandably were like shocked and appalled. Yeah. And yeah. that was completely unacceptable. To give a little bit of a background, you know, my mom went to Stuyvesant High School in New York City, which is like a very, very one of the best schools in the city. Um you have to test to get it. And so she was like, well, that's not going to happen. And they had to start looking for a place where we could live, where my, my, all of us really could get, um, you know, what they would say, a private school education for a public school price. Right. And they found that in this little town. So going to a little huh. town of 600 people, you know, you're in a class of 30 kids. So my brother, all of us could really get very specialized attention, one-on-one attention. And so that is one thing that as much as, I honestly hated growing up there. Do you know, it's what it's what allowed all of us to lead successful lives. You know, mm. my parents were able to raise us in a very safe environment. By all means, I had a great childhood, you know. Um I was bored as shit, but I bet. <laughs> I bet. you know, yeah. there wasn't much yeah. to do yeah. but get in trouble, which was the other thing, you know? And so it's yeah. interesting because of the, of the kids who really like made it out, like who left, they're doing very well. Do you know, my childhood best friend is at Stanford, like, you know, working on a cure for AIDS because wow. you had, we knew that's like, we had to get out of that town. Do you know, mm-hmm. we knew that there was nothing there for us and the way out was for us education. So, um, with that being said, I also I relate to Alex a lot because I we always were a different family for many reasons. One, we were the only black family. Mm-hmm. Two is we were a different religion from most people, which I don't know, we can maybe get into, maybe not. <laughs> but um, also, like, you know, we are from New York City. So, like, whereas a lot of kids there had never even been to New York City, you know, they, mm-hmm. like, only knew the small town life. So... In a lot of ways, we were outsiders, but my parents really um, leaned into that and encouraged us to lean into it and encouraged us to be ourselves. And we're all very creative. And so they encouraged us to like, you know, me and my sister would make our own clothes or wear like belts on our head or my sister would like, you know, dye her hair pink. And they they were just like, go for it. They're honestly really supportive in that sense. And that support led me to go to Parsons School of Design for mm-hmm. college. And mm-hmm. so as soon as I turned 18, I got the fuck out of there. Yeah. But whereas Alex, I think you were saying that your like your true friend, like your true core friendships were made in high school. Mine were for mm-hmm. sure made in college. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I moved to New York and I was just like, oh my God, these are my people. Like all yeah. of the fucking weirdos, all of the mm-hmm. art kids. Yeah. Like New York City. Like yeah. I think also because, you know, like I said, I've Three generations back, I just felt like I'm where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I never left, and I love it here. Yeah. Aww. I feel You're... so lucky that I found the friends I did so young. Yeah. It's because they were weirdos. Yeah, I mean, there's... <laughs> also, I there were 10,000 people in my town, so I had more to, friends to yeah, choose more from. Yeah, more to choose from, <laughs> for it's sure. True. But 
I mean, I guess the good thing about that is that, and you actually brought this up because I was saying, like, who are my best friends? And you were like, well, Jess is your best friend, your sister. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true because I never really thought, like, you know, your sister's your sister. But it's true. We're very, very close. And I think it's because we both have that shared experience of being othered in that town. And that's, like, now I think for sure the community that we cultivate is, you know, anybody who's othered. I really feel a lot of empathy for it. And being in Brooklyn... And the kind of the basis of our beauty studio and of our podcast is, you know, multiculturalism because mm-hmm. from being the only black person in an all white town and then going to Parsons where it's like a huge Asian community, but then also you're in New York City, so you have so much diversity and Alex the same in Long Island and then moving to New York. So we're just so used to being around so many different types of people and all fucking weirdos. <laughs> like yes. just all <laughs> yes. weirdos. That's where I feel my best. Like came to yes. New York <laughs> to find their people. And it's a really beautiful thing, I think. All this alternativeness all around you, right? <laughs> we're but just it, so different. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> not here, though. Not in Brooklyn. <laughs> no, yeah. You know, we're not cool and different here. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're just kind of you're right. You're you're neurotypical in Brooklyn. Right. And that's what I'm right, saying. Like alternative right. alternative is obviously means different things to different generations. Clearly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the, I think the good news in a lot of places is alternative is not really a, applicable. Right. Because there's just so many ways to live and so many different recipes for this for life now it's like what is alternative and what's not it's almost like traditional yeah. traditional in many places is alternative like you can flip it upside out right a hundred percent that's so true so i'm yeah, thinking 100%. about you guys are bold bold like you guys have a boldness um to you for for different paths um to boldness though and this 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 being different, having different experiences, having different adversity. Um, and uh, anyways, I just think it's really cool. I think that Elizabeth, for your parents are bold to go to like Catskills, like t- three generations out of, um, first of all, talk about parenting and talk about what you do for your kids. Um, totally. That's, that's, that's just awesome. I think of, I just want to side in a bar. I think of the Catskills always as one of my favorite, this is the setting of one of my favorite childhood books, My Side of the Mountain, uh, took place in the Catskills. You guys might not know that book. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're older I people. Don't. It's an awesome book. Yeah. It's actually a kid who he's probably 10. He leaves his big family in the city on his own to just live in the Catskills on his <gasps> grandfather's property that he has to find because it doesn't even really exist anymore. And he, with, uh, oh friends, a falcon, uh, and um, basically lives off the land. And it just evolves in this way that is, it's kind of like he ends up bringing some family members up to visit him. They f- f- and then all of a sudden he has these other little like peop- other people living in trees and he's, it's kind of like, oh, wait, 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 no, I did this to get away from people. But it's anyways, it all takes place in the Catskills. So super Aww. cool. Oh, that's very yeah. cute. Yeah. Well, the Catskills are magical and that book sounds magical. That book does sound It is magical. magical. My side of the mountain, everyone. Okay. Um, I would say we'll put it in the show notes, but I don't think we do that. I hear everyone else say that. We'll put this in the show notes, which sounds really cool. <laughs> sounds really cool. Okay, guys, we're going to put this in the show notes. Phil, can we have some show notes? Okay. Um, okay. And and, <laughs> and, um, and Alex, I love the Long Island, like, it, I, I, you saw it like a diet, like it's a diet or it's light. Uh, oh, that's Laura. Okay, Laura is going to yeah. put it in the show notes, not Phil. Um so, okay. <laughs> so like not you my guys, job. so you guys, um, you do embrace, I mean, at your, uh, studio and of course on your podcast, um, total diversity, uh, multiculturalism, like acceptance of everyone. And, and what I, what I, I there's a few, few places I want to go here. So I have to pick one. I want to talk about, um, how you embrace beauty and your guys' mission for people to feel beautiful, uh, which again, we'll talk about, which is different than looking beautiful objectively, right? We want people to feel beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the other one though, here's my first, the first question I want to ask you guys totally are voices of, uh, millennialism and you totally embrace it. So I wanted to ask you guys, what does that mean to you? Like, what does that represent? Uh, like being a voice of millennialism. Oh, I love the word millennialism. millennialism. Um, I think that it. Oh God, oh, I hate that I have to. <laughs> I 
I think that being a millennial right now, specifically you hate being called a millennial. <laughs> but this is well where being alternative comes in handy, yeah. I think, yeah. being yeah, yeah. a millennial. I think so, for sure. I think it's kind of, I think we would be a rejection of an acceptance that life isn't fair because we've had to sort of overcome so many things. Like I graduated college in 2008, in the fall of 2008 in New York City, ain't no jobs. There was, there was absolutely nothing. Right. And so, so, and now we're in a pandemic, right? In a worldwide yeah. pandemic, only however many years later. And so I think that it's, for me anyway, acceptance that like life isn't fair, but also in that like it doesn't have to be done in the way that it's always been done before. In that mm-hmm. like there's, alternative there you go alternative (laughs) ways to do things and like why should we continue to do it the other way just because you've always done it that's not a good enough reason Mm -hmm. and i think especially because we came of age with the internet like we know we're an interesting generation because we know both worlds we know before the internet Mm -hmm. and like we watched Mm -hmm. social media become like my brag not brag is that we were one of the first schools to be on facebook like we had to be invited Oh, Parsons? Mm-hmm. Parsons, mm-hmm. you know, by Zex. Yep. And so we know, like, whereas the next generation, like, they don't even know. There's so, it's hilarious watching things from the 90s, like, things that don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, answering machines, phones that yeah. aren't cell phones, yeah. beepers. Like, there's just so many things. We've seen, we've witnessed this radical change. And so I think because we've been a part of and witnessed this radical change, it's built in our DNA that's, Change is inevitable. To be adaptable. But to be adaptable, exactly. Yeah. To be mm-hmm. resilient. And I don't know. Not I don't take no for an answer. Mm. I think, too, because maybe you and I both um, didn't care so much about going the traditional route in life, like even as kids or teenagers, that now as adults, as millennial adults, where sometimes it's just not possible to kind of go the route that maybe you envisioned for yourself or just do what your parents did because the world is different and mm-hmm. money is different. Um, it's been easier for us to adapt to that. Did you say money is different? Yeah. I like that. Money, money is, is different. different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, money is different. So I think that being um, bold, mm-hmm. like you said, yeah. but also just being okay with being a little different has helped us to be like, yeah, being a millennial is kind of just about like adapting, figure out, figuring out different ways to live your life because the traditional way just isn't, it's kind of not cutting it anymore. No. And I think that we're also like truth seekers. I think that we're a generation for that of, I mean, I think that Gen Z even more, I think they've kind of like taken the baton and they're running with it. Mm -hmm. But I think that in so many aspects, you know, just like look at, you know, last summer and George Floyd. And I remember people being like white people specifically, like, I can't believe this is happening. And like, I would just look at people and be like, this done been happening. Y'all are just realizing welcome, like welcome. (laughs) But that not being met with resistance. And that's the difference. You know, I remember my dad saying like, so first of all, he was like, so your clients, they're white. I was like, yeah. And he goes, and they know you're black. I'm like, yeah, dad. And he's like, and they don't mind. Like, they don't mind. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. So why are they marching for us? I'm like, because there's they, they're friends, they're neighbors, they're classmates, they're lovers. They're all people of color. And mm-hmm. it's different before, you know, they're a generation where it was very segregated, even though there was efforts to not be. In reality, people didn't, know what was going on behind different cultures closed doors you know and now we're such an integrated generation i think Mm -hmm. that it's hard to look at your best friend or your lover in the eye and they're telling you the truth of their life and their lineage and you say well that that can't be true Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. you're just being you're you know you're just making that up right they Mm -hmm. just kill black people on the side of the road no it's it's very hard when that's somebody that you truly loved telling you these things it's hard to turn an eye and so Mm -hmm. i think that that has opened up other doors of untrue things you know Mm -hmm. gender for example and sexuality and all of that stuff so Mm, truth seekers yeah truth seekers i like i like that truth seekers um and and also the adaptability that you talk about in terms of it is resilience. Like like I don't take no for an answer. I I'm gonna figure this out. Like that's resilience. Like there's multiple ways to do this. Like I'm I'm gonna make this happen. Um, 
those are qualities that we we want to have. And um, for those people listening, raising kids, like you want your kids to have, you want your kids to have this idea that, okay, I can be how I want to be. I can figure out how to make ha- make my life the way I want. And I don't have to accept all the conventions, all the no's, all the, the traditional paths that people are putting in my path or, or are saying about me. I don't have to believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, it's not easy. No. <laughs> no, it's not easy it at all. It certainly isn't easy. No. And it certainly is gritty, you know. It's a, it takes a lot of fight for sure. But... For sure. I mean, I made the decision to n- not finish college and go to esthetician school instead. And mm-hmm. it wasn't a bad decision. I think it was an amazing decision. But it definitely made things harder than mm-hmm. doing it traditional, you know, four years of college or maybe adding in grad school, getting a salary job. Not that that is all easy. But it's um, there's more of like a path laid out for that. Whereas I kind of took a road of just I got to kind of figure this out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. but my parents did, for the most part, support me in that. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's really nice. And probably I don't have kids, but I imagine that's important to just try to unless your kid's doing something terrible, obviously, just important to support them and Totally. Not make them feel like they're making the wrong decision, because even if they are, they'll figure that out. That's part of being an adult. And recently, my sister is much younger. She's in her early 20s and she was with her shitty high school boyfriend for way too long. And my dad and my stepmom were so upset. They wanted her to break up with him. And I'm like, telling her all these things is not going. You just got to let her do it and let her make the mistake only because I've been there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, I learned and I definitely didn't learn because you told me to stop. (laughs) No, that actually so actually think, often makes it worse um, when mm-hmm. our parents tell us not to do something or to do something. There's a lot of resistance that kind of gets in the way of the life lessons. Yeah. So I think having support, I mean, even um, in like middle school, the the boys I hang out with all had like spiky hair and mohawks. And I know my well, dad you, and my stepmom were concerned, well, but they punk. were like, oh, spiky hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I talked about it with my stepmom recently. I'm like, you never really like cared or you never made it seem like it was a big deal. Mm. And I think that they were very strict with me growing up. So I'm surprised that they didn't make it a big deal. But I think they just knew early on that I was like a little weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they were like, we just have to embrace it at this point. Well, that's awesome. Right. I mean, we got I think that's the thing is, can we embrace this? A a larger theme we're talking about is just embracing people for who they are, um, regardless of whether they fit in some mold or don't fit in some mold. Like, can we embrace humans and then allow those humans to therefore feel good about themselves um, and who they are in the world? It's just so much easier that way. If we grow up feeling good about ourselves instead of being told that we're different Mm -hmm. or we're wrong or we're less than and there's unfortunately too much of that going on yeah yeah well this brings us to self-love actually and self-care um because Mm -hmm. what i really loved about our conversation which um everyone will be hearing when that show's released is one of the things that i got from (laughs) from being a guest on your show and listening to you guys is um like your guys like your growth, your coming of age, your like your new awarenesses, right? So, you know, here I'm talking to you as a 51 year old and, um, I know how much I've changed over the years and how much, and I just love when people are talking about this awareness of like where they came from, how it influenced them, why you do the things you do and really wanting to learn more and, and embrace yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the sense that I was mm-hmm. getting that you guys are kind of in that place. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, yeah, I, I try, I think I'm a very hyper aware person, not always of myself, (laughs) but of the people around me, which is why I'm very empathetic. Um, But I think a lot of that, I don't know. I'm like, did someone teach me that? No, that's something that's just in me. Yeah. I remember even as a kid, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I had this memory the other day. Yeah. Um, I was in somewhere in the city, maybe in Soho with my mom. And there was this um, guy begging for money and I wanted to give him money. I was young, like me, younger than 10, probably. And I really wanted to give him money. My mom was like, no, no, don't give him money. Like he's going to go buy drugs or whatever. And I remember feeling so sad, like, but he needs money, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And 
I'm just like, wow, I was just always very sensitive mm-hmm. <laughs> to mm-hmm. everyone around me. But as an adult now, I've become aware that all of those things really like kind of took me to where I am now in the sense of like, I really care about other people and maybe being young and like being in a city environment helped that too. Like seeing people who weren't just in my town with money and homes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's weird how like these tiny little things that will happen to you will affect you or just you'll remember them years later. And obviously they had an effect on you. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, like that one little moment. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I think for sure, because because I always felt like an outsider, I know I just know how it feels to be, to feel insecure, to feel weird, or to feel uneasy. And I think that, I mean, in in my childhood, when I was younger, I wasn't very nice. And I think I wasn't very nice because I was very insecure and because I felt like I constantly had to defend myself against like one thing or another, you Mm -hmm. know, because I was so different. And then when I got, as I got older and sort of, I think I probably, came maybe with actually being a server, being a waiter, and just meeting so many different types of people. And I don't know, I just started to see that we're all really insecure, and we're all kind of just like trying to make it through life. Mm -hmm. And something about that just made me, I guess it's because I just love people. At the end of the day, I really have a a genuine interest in human beings and you don't get very far being mean to them. (laughs) (laughs) True. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so in like seeing, in seeing how I didn't like people, how other people behaved, I think that I'd like, genuinely began to change the person that I was to reflect the type of person that I wanted to be because mm-hmm. you know like being a server in New York City a lot of people go through it and a lot of people I hear say this that like the same way the Israeli army has uh, in Israel everybody's got to go through the Israeli army here mm-hmm. everybody should be either a server or work in retail because huh. it just changes yeah. you and it teaches you how to be empathetic and how to treat people and how to be kind and how to be patient do you know, and it just it really teaches you these aspects. And now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm going to go ahead and say that I truly think that that changed me to be a much kinder person and a much mm. more empathetic person. Mm. And then, um, like I said before, and just like having a genuine human interest. And as a bartender now, as a um, esthetician, I love people to tell me their stories. And the more I hear stories of resilience, I hear I'm getting like emotional just talking about oh, this. Because we, like, we have great clients, we and we, we meet so many people. Just yeah, we meet so many incredible people. And look, New York City is not an easy place to live. We're all unless you're very very wealthy which like, yes, the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world do live here. We're all busting our ass to mm-hmm. become whatever it is that we want to become or just to live here, just to live comfortably yeah. in a nice apartment. And so you hear these stories of resilience. You hear people who are immigrants or who come from immigrant families or who were poor and like had to bust their ass to get here. And it's just like the more you hear, I, I won't speak for you, but the more I hear, the more... I realize how different we are, but how similar we are. Like the core human mm-hmm. values, like the mm-hmm. core things that make us all human are very, very much the same, even though our backgrounds can be very, very, very different. And like that's, well mm-hmm. said, you know, yeah. and I, I just yeah. love that. I just love that about humanity. And I think it makes me a better person. Mm. Yeah. And like yeah, a more very person. well said. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I was also thinking uh, when I went to graduate school for psychology, what was often talked about is the, that everyone who wants to become a therapist, a psychotherapist, should either start with being a bartender or cutting hair, uh, being a stylist mm-hmm. of some sort, because similarly to what you're talking about as being a retailer server, you're, you're, you're talking and listening and learning about people the entire mm-hmm. time. And that is regardless of which world we go into. It's so important um, to have this empathy and understanding and patience for others. What has your guys' experience been of having that same level of care that you do for your clientele for yourselves? Mm. It can be hard. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something 
<clears throat> when I first started in this industry, I was very young. I was in my like early to mid twenties and I didn't really think about myself like that. I thought I'm going to go to work. I'm going to make good money and then I'm going to go out and have fun. <laughs> and then I'm going to wake up the next day and do it all over again. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I got into my later twenties that I was like, Oh, my back hurts. Um, my left um, foot hurts. <laughs> and I was like, okay, actually you take all, all day. Granted, I'm getting paid to do it, but I'm taking care of other people, making them look good, feel good, all these things. And it really wasn't until I was maybe 28 that I, I act like, like I was so old. Um, wasn't until I was 28 that I finally <laughs> took care of myself <laughs> that I really started to, take care of myself. And, you know, I'd been practicing yoga for years, but I kind of took on a different, um, I feel like my brain kind of changed where mm. it became more of a self care thing and not just this thing I had to do because it's good for me, yada, yada. And, right. um, just being really mindful about that. And also, you know, maybe not going out after work and going home and taking a bath and just staring at the wall. Yeah. And yeah. not doing anything with my brain <laughs> yeah. for a little bit because I was talking all day and listening to people's problems. Um, but I think that when you, I think it can be really, really like taxing on your mind and on your body when you're doing things for other people all day. Mm -hmm. And I'm not complaining. I love yeah. my job. But um, I've definitely, and now I'm in my early, is 34 mid 30s? I think so. Yeah, Shit, think, I'm about to be in my yeah. mid 30s. Yeah. <laughs> Those like, are good oh, years. Those are good years. There's I'm a, loving there, it. There's so, but so there's a, a theme there that, and you guys have been saying, talking about this is this increased awareness, which is something we talk about on this show a lot. This like increased mm -hmm. awareness, you just start to become more aware of things. It's crazy. And it starts to change you. I, you, I just had mm -hmm. a remembrance of being, um, Gosh, I don't know. If, it was probably about that age, and I was at the. I met a friend at a microbrewery when microbreweries were still like just becoming the thing, and uh, and everyone knows who drinks micro beer. It's like you know, it's pretty heavy, and uh, you you don't always wake up feeling so good. And I remember thinking, God, it was it was like a Thursday night. I'm thinking like he's like, Hey, do you want to get another beer? And I remember thinking, mm, I don't know, what am I doing tomorrow? And then I look on the chalkboard you know how they always write in chalk all the great sayings and beer on at, at microbreweries and it says you know you're getting older when you think about the morning after before the night before and i'm like yeah holy crap i'm right now <laughs> thinking about what i'm doing tomorrow instead of what i'm doing right now because i'm getting old like i'm becoming more aware That's like true. you know when you're young you don't think about that it's like sure let's have another beer mm -hmm. or whatever it is yeah. right like you just don't think about that so with this awareness, then it's like you're you're starting to care for yourself, right? Yoga becomes something different. It becomes a mindful mm -hmm. self-care act as opposed to, yeah, I should do it because it's good for me and my friends do it. Yeah, it became right. yeah. really even more important. And then the bath ritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Such like a simple thing in my shit dump bathroom that I had when I first started taking baths seriously, <laughs> but it was still so nice and I'd make it a nice experience. Yeah. But it was like these little things really, really helped me. I'd feel really good the next day. It was something I looked forward to at the end of the day. And I, I wish I'd started it sooner, but I was mm -hmm. too busy going out dancing and drinking. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the process. What about though. You? That's part of the process. Yeah. What about you, Elizabeth? Totally. Oh, I'm still figuring out my self-care. I've no I've I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I'm terrible at it because I'm such a um like I, I love to be in motion like I love to build things, you know, like li literally and figuratively. And so I just constantly am finding myself in motion, which is great, but Again, now in middle age, I'm tr I need to figure out how to slow down mm -hmm. because it used to be that being in motion was how I how I felt good and how I used to like how I enjoyed myself. But now, you know, having a business, a business that we're building. A yes, podcast. everyone opening a new a, a number two, a true beauty salon. Yes, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're opening a second location yeah. right now. 
you know, my in-laws aren't doing well. My mm. partner is also a small business owner. So there's just like a lot of balls to keep in the air, yeah. which I enjoy, but it's not the same because now it's work. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Now this is just like every day in, into perpetuity, perpetuity, yeah. perpetuity. Mm. Sure. <laughs> For forever. This sounds, is my that life sounds forever. Good. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which I do enjoy, but I need to really um, figure out what is my self-care like what Mm -hmm. is just for me because Mm -hmm. it's I'm not sure yet I'm really not sure I mean it took me until I felt like I my body was falling apart to really (laughs) do anything and care about myself and now I do it just as habit yeah but I mean I still do yoga I still take the baths and I still will um I don't know. Cooking is very therapeutic to me. I love grocery shopping. I know you do love grocery shopping. I love shopping. it. And mm. if I'm feeling anxious, I need to go Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. I yeah. like to walk. Which mm-hmm. is, but it's, there you go. I'm yeah. getting sick of saying that. That's There's why? nothing. No, but that's good. No, that, that's totally. You need to own that, though. No, <laughs> okay. you need to own that because also walking is totally self-care. It's being, first of all, outside in air. And you're getting your yeah. your 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 heart's pumping you're getting you're exercising different muscles you have time to think i mean i've been a jogger Mm -hmm. for a long time and a runner and i always say like that's actually for my mental health even like more than my physical health like i have to go out Mm -hmm. and do that um but no own that that's total self-care i think i'm gonna have to it's true own it babe um Thanks, guys. I yeah. appreciate you. Yeah. Because I do yeah. the same things that you're saying. That's when I think the most, like, that's when I'm sending you all those voice messages. It's like either at my, yeah. so I also have two dogs and they're mm-hmm. also my self-care because okay. I'm obsessed with those guys. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. And so it's usually on my walks with them in the morning or at night that I'm sending Alex like 25 voice messages <laughs> about like all of yeah. my like, crazy ideas or things yeah. I need to get done or like a way to whatever. Um, so yeah, all right, I'll take it back. Walking, walking to my self-care. I'm going to own it and not be ashamed. Yes. And the other thing that you're just (laughs) triggering for me about, because I have the same thoughts on my run, I'm like voice texting or I'm coming home and I'm telling my wife or I'm emailing Laura or producer or Phil, um, is, so I've had a couple on, on the podcast, different people who, um, like study creativity and entrepreneurship and have read some books and our most prolific thinkers actually had a ton of built-in non-doing time was part of their life. Mm. Because all of the ideas come when you're doing what we consider like recreation or downtime. And so for those of us, and I'm definitely someone who's historically always been moving, 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 there's not time for those percolations and those ideas and that creativity to come that you entrepreneurials need uh, for your show and for your business. And so that helped me also as someone, again, who's more of a doer to see like, okay, by me not doing, I'm actually still doing something. Like like Mm -hmm. if I carve out my time to think, to sit on the chair, to stare at the fire. Um, that actually is like an important part of me caring for myself and an important part of my mental health and wellness. I love that. Yeah, I think it's important. <clears throat> the other night when I took a bath, I didn't bring my Kindle. I didn't bring a regular book. I didn't bring my phone. I was like, girl, you're just going to lay here. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to not be doing anything. Yeah. I love this for you. I'm better. I know I'm better at it than you. Oh, you're way better at it. I know. Than I am. I'm sorry. We, we, we all <laughs> we all are expanders for other people, right? Like we all, you guys, you guys clearly are uh, synchronistic and synergistic. I have no yeah. doubt about that. So, but so, sure. okay. So you spend your lives making other people, um, I should say, look beautiful and feel beautiful. Like, so tell us, tell us how that fits into this conversation about people caring for themselves and loving themselves. Mm, Yeah. I, at one point, this is a while ago, maybe I was like 26, 27. I remember I started feeling all this anxiety where I was like, what am I doing with my life? I'm not like doing anything that great. I'm just like making people look nice, but what is that doing for anyone? I want to be doing like bigger things and like changing the world or some shit. And Um, I said something about it to my friend Leah and she just looked at me 
she's in a similar industry. She's a massage therapist. And she was just like, dude, everyone has their place in this world. And everyone is doing something that is great. And you're doing things that are really helpful. There are people who look at you and are like, she's like, I know there are clients that so look forward to seeing you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was when I like truly, truly started loving being an esthetician because Mm. I really realized like, yes, I am sometimes like a voice of comfort, a voice of reason for these clients who come in telling you their whole life story. I've had clients tell me things that they're like, I've never told this to my therapist, you know? Mm. And it's amazing. Mm -hmm. You found your purpose. It's a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It really is. Totally. That's beautiful. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it was a sweet moment. Yeah. I realized you know, my my mom jokes that my dad is also a feminist. She's like, so you were raised by two feminists. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but she is. But I think they're really, the thing that I really, I'm such a daddy's girl. I love both my parents very, very much. But I'm like, so my father's child. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I took from him is like, he's an engineer. And he would always, like, it doesn't matter what it was, whether we were out to dinner, whether we were like watching a movie, he would always see something and he'd be like, I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) And then he would go and do it. Do you know what I mean? No, I know where you get it from. Exactly. Like my, my childhood home, I remember I, my parents bought like this old, you know, Victorian farmhouse. It was one of the second homes that was built in our town. And I remember Mm. my dad like pulling up the wood floors and putting down new ones and taking out the walls, like rebuilding this home. And I mean, it took him 20 years, but like he did it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he just instilled that in me that like whatever you want to do, you can do it and not in like a flippant way. Like you have to figure it out, you know? Like we always had these, um, he would go to the library and get these it was some series, I have no idea what it was, but there's a different one for different areas of the house. So there was like a plumbing and like an electrician <laughs> one. and like An electrician a, for dummies. Exactly, but whatever. So like I would always see him having these different books. And so that also taught me that like you can self-teach yourself, I think. Mm-hmm. Like you can learn these things. You don't, like education is important, but it comes in so many different ways. And so I've, I'm have i 100% that person in that once I get an idea in my head, I can't, and I truly believe it. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to figure it out, you yeah. know? Like, nobody yeah. taught us how to podcast. We figured out how to podcast, you know? Impressive. Um, nobody taught me how to run a business. Like, we figured out how to run a business. I'm still figuring it out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and that's something I didn't realize. Like, you don't, you only know what you know, and so I didn't realize how special that was, really, until mm-hmm. I started speaking to different people, but specifically women, and they would kind of just be like, what gives you, like, the confidence to do that? Like, what makes you think, and not in a snooty way, not in, like, what makes you think you could do it, but a genuine curiosity of, like, how can you do these things? Why do you believe that you can do these things? And I was like, well, we all had parents that told us we could do everything. We're, like, the 90s babies, and they're like, no. They're like, no. I didn't have no. that at Mm-mm. all. And I very much had parents who were like, you can do anything that you want to do. And I mean, it worked. But I guess what my point is that much like Alex, once, you know, there's a there's something special about the table, the aesthetic table. And, you know, the, the treatments that we do from intimate waxing to your eyebrows, to your skincare, they're all so personal. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you create a bond with people. And I would see these women who... Again, we're in New York City, and we offer these services, and we're in a specific neighborhood. And so meet these women who are so incredible, so smart, or so beautiful, and most times it was both. And But they didn't have, like, this love, the same level of self-confidence, you know what I mean? Yeah. And... And I just, I don't know, I just took it upon myself to, like, hype these bitches up. I'm yeah. like, what do you mean, girl? Look at you. You, got, you went to Harvard. Yeah. Like, you're beautiful. Like, totally. And it's, like, something that I love. I mean, it's just yeah. in my nature, I think. But it kind yeah. of, I didn't, I don't know. It's just. Yeah. And I think a beauty service, yeah. if done correctly with the right energy, with the right person who has the right energy, mm-hmm. can make you feel so much more than just, like, my brows look great. Right. Exactly. You yeah. will leave here feeling like, oh, I am fucking baddest <laughs> yeah yeah and it's my yeah. pleasure to do that because we and i and i say women because for the most part men don't men are born knowing that like we spoke about this on on our show do you know mm-hmm. for the most part men are born knowing that they're great and the and special and all these things a little women too don't much know that especially yeah. 
What was that? A, li- a little too much sometimes. A little, a little yeah, too yeah, much, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like women, and especially, especially women of color, we, we, we have to learn those things. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It's not innate necessarily. Somebody has to teach you or they try and get it out of you, one or the other mm-hmm. generally. They're just like, oh, you're too feisty. You're too this. You're too bossy. You're too that. Yeah. Like they're constantly trying to like, mm-hmm. you know, suppress, yeah. suppress that. You definitely have to surround yourself with, I mean, you've definitely upped my confidence. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Oh, <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> you're great. Because you're yeah. like you're so great, and it's like. When but some, some sometimes you just don't know. Like, like I thought it was good, but I didn't. You know, and it's kind of crazy that even as an adult, you just need sometimes someone to tell you a nice thing about yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. I feel like that's something that's so like underestimated. Yeah. And. You know, even when Elizabeth and I wanted, Elizabeth started True Beauty and Mm -hmm. I came in and now we're opening the second location together. And when I brought it up to my husband, he was just like, this is a great idea. And I was like, oh, is it? Like, I wasn't totally sure. Like, I, you know, I'm just, I'm never 100% confident in things. I always need one of my loved ones to like Mm -hmm. help me a little. Yeah. But um, he was so just like, yes, you work great together. You love each other. Yeah. (laughs) And, um... I don't know. I just think like it's the same where like I need to surround myself with certain people and people who are getting beauty services need to go to someone who isn't just cutting their hair and isn't just yeah. giving them a facial. Like yeah. you yeah. are the energy that you surround yourself with. And yes, I think that that's a big reason why people come to us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, and it's you- like, I mean, like it or not, we live in a forward facing world and we live in a world where, you know, good quote unquote, good looking people, you know, get further in life, right? Supposedly. And, and I think that when you can look in the mirror, you know, the most interesting thing to me about the pandemic is that how resilient the beauty industry is, but for the reason in that women would come in and be like, everything is fucking awful except for my eyebrows. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> Do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's, to, to be able to look in the mirror and feel and be like, bitch, you look good. Yeah. That's something special. And it radiates outwardly. For sure. And this is, I'm thinking about self-care going to self-love in so many different ways by what you guys are saying. So first of all, it is um, people taking want, taking care of themselves by going to get a treatment, right? Because they are, they are caring for themselves and they want to feel good by looking good, like feeling good in their own body. And you guys clearly do that for people. The other thing that you guys do is you give of yourselves to them. Like you give your guys energy and you are so much more, like you're so much more than estheticians. You're like these humans with great <laughs> energy giving people treatments plus, Actually, that could be your taglines. Treatments plus. Like, but you, yeah. you guys clearly <laughs> charge you clearly give more. And the other thing I want to say is um, this self-care is you guys doing work you love um, and are passionate about is part of your self-care. Because we know that all too, too many people are stuck in jobs that really deplete them, that don't bring out their best, you know, where they don't feel that they have choice or they have value. And so you guys keep are marching forward following this, um, this natural gift that you guys have. Um, and that, that it's clear that fills you up. It does. It really does. It really does. You know, last night my client was like, she was my but I think I had her from like 6 p.m. to 7.30. And she was like, what time have you been here since? I'm like, 9.30. And she's like, when are you going to leave? I'm like, like probably close to nine. And she was like, oh my God, like, I'm so sorry that I'm like here so late. You've been here all day. I'm like, what are you sorry about? Number one, you're paying me. Number two, (laughs) I just was like, I really love my job. And like, yes, I can still get burnt out. That's still a thing, but I'm like happy to be here. I'm happy to be giving you a facial right now. And that's genuine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. But that said, being an esthetician, there are many times where it's not easy. You have to work very, very hard to be able to make it a full career for yourself that you can make a good amount of money from, mm-hmm. especially in New York City. But um, I just think that I couldn't be doing anything else. I yeah. really don't think mm-hmm. that I could. Nice. Yeah. And I think that's um, that's the thing. You know, I did a lot of kind of touching back to what you're saying with like self-love and everything is I feel like I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this is I did a lot of work and like the self-help mm-hmm. you know 
Tony Robbins area yeah. of yeah. life, I guess. And it came to the point, you know, like I mentioned before, I was a bartender for quite some time, and that wasn't by choice. It was by circumstance, you know, I graduated into the Great Recession. Like, there weren't mm -hmm. any jobs available, and I needed to survive. And in that time... I found, I, I stumbled into this place where it was like, yes, I'm fine, but I'm not fulfilled. Like, I'm like, I've got money, but I'm not fulfilled. And that's kind of what led me on that journey to like, what would, what would I like to do with the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. And I guess I bring that up because um, I think that happiness, and I want to say this without sounding flippant and without sounding like people don't need, you know, help like uh, antidepressants and things like that. So let me preface it with, with saying that. But I think that happiness is a choice. And if you're, I should say, if you're privileged enough to make it a choice, you have to work hard at that every day. Like it isn't necessarily, we talked about this on our show, but I, I don't yeah. think it's necessarily something that just comes. Like I didn't just become an esthetician because like I, this was my lifelong dream or anything. It was I stumbled into this because I started to put the pieces together of like what I wanted my life to look like and what that entailed. And so that's how I found this job. And mm -hmm. I always want to say that because especially if you're young and you're trying to figure out your life or, or even if you're not young, like this was my second career. You know, I thought yep. my first career was going to be one thing that didn't happen, became a bartender. So I guess technically this is kind of my third <laughs> career. But there's there's room for pivoting and there's room for yeah. um, for changing course and you know, I just think that self-reflection and self-awareness is so important. And I think everybody, it's worth people taking a look at. If you're not fulfilled or if you're not feeling happy, it's worth doing the work to try to figure out whatever might yes. change that in you. Yes, man. Okay, that's a, yeah. that's like a, that's a drop the mic summary right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. On our way to the parent foot per moment question, because that is so, like, it, I'm glad you brought that up because... Um, you, it, it's important for people to know the work that you've done, Alex, the work that you have done. Um, you know, I'm hearing self-help, I'm hearing yoga, I'm hearing baths, I'm hearing walks, I'm hearing grinding it out, trying to find something that works, like making it happen. Like all of this, these are all the ingredients of a life um, well-lived, like one trying to live a life well-lived, right? It doesn't just happen to us. We have to really seek, mm -hmm. seek it. And then when we do mm -hmm. seek it and we are open and aware, actually good things can happen, people. They can happen. Okay. Yeah. Parent footprint moment question. Deep breath. Okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual uh, an awareness of yourself as a parent, which you're not, or an awareness about your parents. And that new awareness, whatever it was, had a positive impact on yourself, your life, and those you love. I got one. Mm -hmm. All right. Should I go? Mm -hmm. I'll go. Do okay. it. You go first. So I've been um, dealing with some personal things recently, some really, really difficult uh, areas in life that we're all going to have to go through at some point. Like my in-laws aren't doing very, aren't doing well at all. They're both dying in different ways. And it's just been very difficult. It's been a really, really hard um, last couple of months. And along with, you know, like I mentioned before, we're opening this new business and we already have this business and there's a pandemic. There's a COVID all, surge in New York City, if you haven't heard. Exactly. All uh, these things. And yes. I found myself in a situation that I was just, I spent two days crying and just could not, I couldn't get out of, I couldn't get out of it. And I called my dad, I called my parents and I said, Mom, I just, I got to get out of here. And she said, wait one second. And she called me back. She said, your dad's kind of on his way to pick you up. He's going to be there in a couple hours. And my dad came, drove down and picked me up and took me home. And my mom is a nurse practitioner. And so I was just saying everything that was going on. And she looked at me and she said, honey, you're depressed. And she's like, you're really depressed. You're dealing with some really, really, you know, difficult things. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason you've been crying for two days and we can get you on antidepressants and it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Da, da, da. And it was honestly, that was like, you know, I'm 35 and that was kind of, I'm a very, very independent person. <laughs> and like I don't often like outside help. 
And it was really kind of the first time that I can remember, honestly, in my adult life, like having to fall into my parents' arms. And, but I always knew that they would be there for me, do you know? And so like really having to like lean on them just as, like yes, as parents, but more so like as friends. Like that was the time that I really, I was like, oh, these are my friends. These are the people who are there for me when yeah. nobody else can be there for me in a different way than like right. my other adult <laughs> friends. And you let yourself be vulnerable, right? And that's what you're saying and asking for yeah. help and take accepting yeah. help. You don't like that. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't <laughs> yeah. like that one bit. Yeah. I'm like, I got everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> nobody needs to get me. So yeah. yeah. So that was my, what, that, thank you for sh- yeah. yeah, that totally I counts. So. I mean, because you, Summer show. you I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that counts you as someone who, is really like taking care of others and has everything dialed down and is going to make it happen. There are these times in our life when we just have to, um, we just have to give in, like release, like just sort of be vulnerable, like help. And with that help can come so much strength from those who care about us. And um, we learn so much more about ourselves and we have an opportunity to, um, to get care from others when we need Mm -hmm. care from others. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. It's um, my pleasure. Sharice and Kevin right. Taylor, they're great people. Aww. They're awesome people. <laughs> they really are. Look them up in the Catskills, yeah, people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, your mom's the town mayor. Oh, yeah, Sharice, the town crier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the town crier. All right, hilarious. Alex, what do you got? What do you have um, for us? So something, something I became aware of recently actually has to do with my grandma. She how you were saying that your parents were very much so like, you can do whatever you want. My parents weren't really like that. (laughs) They were like a little too real for me, even as like a child (laughs) at seven, I knew my dad had money problems and owed the IRS money. That's not normal. But anyway, love him anyway. Um, but my grandma, it wasn't until very recently that I was like, Oh, my grandma, like I became aware that my grandma was definitely trying to like instill certain things in me. She wasn't just being a grandma, Mm -hmm. you know, and sh- and maybe it was different in the sense of like, <laughs> I would put on these performances for her and she would be like, you know, you could be a singer or a dancer when you grow up, you know, like you can be anything. And I was just like, ha ha, whatever. And uh, my brother and I would play pool. There was a pool table in the lobby of her building. It's like an old person building. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe that's why they had a pool table. I don't know. And one day she was like, you could be a professional pool player. And I remember... I would have this memory of her telling me these things maybe every couple years. And I'd always be like, that's so weird. My grandma, why is she saying that to me? Like, I'm never going to be a professional pool player. I can't (laughs) sing for shit. I can't dance. I'm not going to be a performer. But I really became aware in my adult years. I'm like, no, she was just trying to like boost my confidence and Mm -hmm. make me aware of like, I don't know that I'm, that I can, if, if I really wanted to be a singer, I guess I could go get singing lessons. Possibilities. Possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. And like, what a sweet, yeah, Yeah. just like very nice. But it took me until I was in my thirties to realize that it really did have an effect on me and that Mm -hmm. she, you know, said these things and I, it just took me a while to like, believe it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And realize that she wasn't coming from like a, she wasn't being specific. Like, yes, go become a pool player. Just being grandma. She wasn't. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it was way more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause my grandma's a very smart lady. Yeah. And yeah, um, she's wise. And and okay, let's 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 turn wise. this around. And you became aware of this at the very young age of thirty three. I mean, I like, think you've also you got your whole life 30s, ahead of you. Yeah, no, it's true, and it's I have more confidence now for sure than I ever have, and I think it's also who I have in my circle. <laughs> she's pointing to Elizabeth um, everyone also, she's pointing but to also a husband who really believes in me yeah. too and yeah. believes in my yes. partnership yeah. with you I've got, look I've got confidence to spare <laughs> you guys you guys are such a great team and um you guys totally support each other um in so many ways and just um and I say that not only from this talk but also from my experience on your guys podcast it's just such a it's such a nice flow and listening to your other podcasts and now that you guys are doing this again like you you're opening another studio so um tell everyone 
this is really important. We do like, yes, the world, things are happening in the world. And yes, there's a new variant variant. I'm not even going to say its name because there's going to be another variant, but, and we're, we're still living, we're still moving on. Life is still happening mm-hmm. and we have to push forward. So tell everyone where they can find you and your treatments. Plus remember you guys do treatments. Plus it's just so much more than a regular treatment. Yes, 100%. So uh, if you guys live locally, come see us at uh, 419 Graham Avenue in Williamsburg. That's where the original True Beauty Brooklyn is. Our second location, we just found out, is going to be opening up hopefully very, very soon, within a few weeks. That's at 166 Franklin Street in Greenpoint, also in Brooklyn. Tell them where they can find us on the web. Um, You can, oh, if you wanted to come see us for an appointment, maybe you're in town even and you don't live here, but you want to, we've been having a lot of people come to visit True. us sorry True Beauty you guys are famous yeah, now it's True yeah. Beauty. Yeah. that's cool that's crazy i don't yeah, know yeah. maybe yeah. i know i gotta start like brushing my hair before i come to work because <laughs> sometimes <laughs> clients come in and they're like i i'm in town visiting so i booked an appointment i i listened to your podcast and yeah. they, they see my podcast photos and they're like this bitch is haggard <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah. At TrueBeautyBrooklyn.com is what my great co-host slash partner is trying to remind me to say. And you can find us on Instagram at TrueBeautyBrooklynPodcast. And you can listen to our podcast uh, every Friday, uh, the True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast. We are exactly right, brethren. Um, So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, actually, I didn't even say that. We're siblings, everyone. We're exact. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone should know this, but we are exactly right. Honestly. Brothers and sisters. We are sibs. And we yes, are all um, feels very fortunate to be a part of an awesome forward thinking network. A really, really dope yeah. network. With, yes. We didn't even ask if we can curse on your show, by the way. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Is we it okay? Up dropping F-bombs. Well, you know, I've. Georgia has been on the show. Karen's been on the show. So, you know, it's kind of like it, it, got, it, oh, yeah, it, 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 the, it got opened up. Right. Georgia. So we're all good. We're yeah. All good. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. We, we yeah. clearly are never. Around yeah, yeah. My <laughs> husband told me the other day, he's like, you curse a lot. Like you really do. curse." He's been with me for like eight years. I'm like, you just realized this. New York. You saw how I was raised yeah. by their New York. They is, curse a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, thank you again for just a wonderful conversation and sharing yourselves with us today. Thank you so thank much. You. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Dr. That was great. Dan. Until next time. All right, Until everyone, that concludes another enlightening episode where you have just learned about real people doing real cool stuff and growing as human beings themselves. Models for us all. We're always growing. We're always learning. And we are hopefully becoming more and more aware. If you want more of Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, check out our bonus episodes once a month exclusively on Stitcher Premium. To listen, just go to stitcherpremium.com slash Dr. Dan. Click start free trial. Select a monthly plan and sign up with the code Dr. Dan and you'll get a month of free listening. You know what I'm going to ask you to do? That's to try to be the person you want your child to become for those of you parents out there. And as always, ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself every day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.